Hello, everybody, and welcome to Daffy's Roundtable, episode 25. This week, I had the honor of sitting down with Jesse DeLuca, the National Product Specialist at Exoterra, and we talked about how Exoterra changed the hobby, the Exoterra expeditions, and we picked his brain about some of his favorite Exoterra products. We also talk about Jesse's collection at home and his experiences with wildlife photography and leaving out trail cameras to see what wildlife is walking around when no one's in the area. I'm super excited for you all to hear this episode, but first, a big thank you to the show's sponsor, Exoterra, for making this episode possible. Exoterra makes quality products for our pet reptiles to make them feel at home. Without further ado, please welcome Jesse DeLuca. Hello. Am I supposed to be saying hello? You are supposed to say hello. <laughs> You're on. <laughs> we are recording. Okay. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good yourself, Fatty. I'm doing great. Thank you very much for coming on, Jesse. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. For sure, for sure. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Exoterra and then a little bit about yourself today. Uh, yeah. But why don't we start on the Exoterra side? And I'm going to dive right into it because I'm super curious. I mean, I've, I've watched uh, almost all of the expedition videos, by the way, and they're um, super interesting that, that they're like... We, we will talk about this further on how they're using it to, to inspire products and all of that. But before the expeditions, how did Exoterra start? Where, where is the basis? If you can let us know. Well, I mean, it all begins with our, our global brand manager of Exoterra, Emmanuel Van Hagen. He sits um, at our Exoterra base camp office in Belgium. And uh, he joined the Hagen company. Uh, Hagen actually started um, in Montreal, Quebec, Canada in, in 1955 uh, and, um, you know, grew from there, starting with bird seed and bird cages. And then all the way until 1999 is when Emmanuel uh, joined Hagen and then uh, Exoterra, the Exoterra brand came, came to life in the year 2000. Uh, so what they did was they actually took a lot of, well, a handful of products that were reptile Hagen products um, from that time and rebranded them to become Exoterra. So there were some heat mats, some UVB bulbs, uh, products like that. Uh, I think there was even a little linear um, uh, like stick on uh, thermometer, et cetera. So a lot of a lot of simple products like those that that they began with and went from there. Awesome. Do any of those products still exist? Um, yes. I mean, heat mats have been, they've, they've changed uh, over, over the years. So for, for a number of years, there were the, um, the desert heat wave mat, and then there was the rainforest, which one was hotter than the other. Uh, and now we just have one, which is basically the desert uh, version that heats at surface around 50 degrees Celsius. Um, that's on the glass with no substrate. Um, and yeah, now just simply called the heat mat. So that product has changed very little um, over over that time. Uh, UVB bulbs, of course, have always been evolving. Um, today uh, in Canada, we no longer have uh, any linear, the, the tube style uh, UVB bulbs. The last ones we had were T8s. Uh, and now we, we simply have uh, compact fluorescence and, of course, the uh, mercury vapor bulbs, the solar glow. Awesome. Very, very cool. Okay. Um, first of all, when was the, when was the, the, the terrarium that we all know and love? Yes. When was that born? 
So the, the, the big innovation, um, the big game changer in the uh, rep, pet reptile hobby um, yeah. was the Exoterratorarium. I would say, yeah, say one of the like things that revolutionized the hobby, made it easier yeah, for, for us keepers, for I sure. I mean, before and still today, uh, you know, some reptiles are kept in fish tanks. So uh, you would have to access the aquarium uh, through a screen top on top and uh, be constantly having to move your heat lamp, etc., which and is not great for the the incandescent basking bulbs. It causes them to burn out prematurely. Uh, so, yes, uh, having the front opening dual doors of the Exoterratorarium was was very innovative at the time, yeah. um, and uh, there was many other uh, uh, features that were that were included that. that change the way we keep and care for our pet reptiles with that innovation in 2004 is when 2004 yeah the awesome. first models of the exoterratorium came out that is very cool um yes and, and and you're right there is it's it's more than just the opening door right there's the the lower layer to, to create that the substrate depth and the drainage layer and there's the holes in the back allowing you to, to without having I, I used to like when i used to have reptiles in aquariums as well like or or like there were turtles way way back when you'd have to put like the wires under the under the lid and then the wire the lid would be on its side oh, so there's yeah. a lot of a lot of things that that um i think the terrarium did fix for the hobby so that that yeah. is awesome yeah uh, really really uh, amazing way to just uh, improve how we care for our pets uh yeah the raise the raised bottom of the of the terrarium to to allow for um the heat mat to be installed right. without the little feet that it comes uh within the package right. uh, the ventilation strip on the bottom, which allows for airflow. Uh, it causes, well, well, it has what you call chimney effect. Um, when the air is heated from the heat, various heating devices used for, for keeping our pet reptiles, the hot air rises and it draws in fresh air through the ventilation strip, causing a constant airflow. So this actually um, helps, I guess, um, uh, get rid of the issue of not having enough airflow for certain species of reptiles. Uh, one, namely chameleons. Chameleons, chameleons right. uh, for for many years and still today, uh, everyone believes that they absolutely have to be kept in a screen enclosure. Uh, I think yes, it's definitely possible in a climate where humidity remains high enough to keep them um, in a in a healthy way. However, in Canada. Uh, like our homes, the humidity levels, if you're not humidifying your home, I've seen in my home in January uh, and February, humidity levels that drop below 20%. Yeah, I was going to say 21, is, 22%. Yeah. This is drier than some of the driest deserts on the planet. This is not healthy for our pet reptiles and even ourselves. We suffer from it too. So sure. having a terrarium that has enough airflow, but then holds in enough humidity so you can keep your, your uh, pet reptiles that require the airflow safely. Absolutely. Screen enclosures are great. Just obviously they have to be used at the right time of year, especially in Canada. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right time of the year in the right place too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and, and on the topic of chameleons being kept in, in, in glass enclosures, I think at this point it's been proven that it can be done. Um, Emma Sampson has done it a number of times. A bunch of other people have done it online as well. So I 100% agree. I think the the, the that the airflow in there is 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 perfect. And another thing about that little airflow strip 
um, that many people might not know is you can actually open it up and, and, and give it a good clean on the inside. If uh, Yes, you if can definitely. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit tedious to remove that, that back panel of it, but it can be popped off uh, very gently and you can clean uh, the, the inside. Uh, and in the event, if you're maybe possibly too rough with the latch in the front of the terrarium and break it, um, that's the way how you would actually be changing that latch. And we do have that replacement part that you can order through um, your local uh, Exoterra uh, retailer. And I do have a YouTube video on how you can do that entire process. I'll Ooh. link it in the description video awesome. <laughs> or description below. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, so we're at 20, 2004. I, I do want to eventually talk about more products and maybe more about the variums before that. Um, I believe 2004 was also the inception of the of the Exoterra expeditions. Um, I think actually 2003 was the, one okay. of the first expeditions to uh, Reunion Island. Um, and thus far, there were many expeditions afterwards that, of course, you could see on the Exoterra YouTube channel, yeah. uh, some of which are actually high definition feature length uh, documentaries, which are fantastic. I love watching them myself. Um, and uh, during those expeditions, there was even four species of, of reptiles that had been discovered by Emmanuel himself, two of which were actually named after him. Um, I don't remember their, their, their I name. actually I actually oh, have them written it, down right here. Uh, it's Felsuma van. I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the last the last name, but van Hege van Hegenai. Yeah, and yeah, then, van Hegenai. Yep. So that was the day gecko species, and there was a chameleon species also named after him, Kin Kinoyanaya van Hegenai as well. So that I, I that was one of the first things I did. Like I saw when I was I was looking it up, and that that's very very cool that he had the chance to do that. Um, Definitely. That, were, those were all on one one expedition. Uh, I don't believe so. It's okay. multiple, probably multiple over multiple expeditions year after year. Um, they the team uh, spent a lot of time exploring Africa, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean they they got to spend an immense amount of time there uh, exploring uh, many different trips. Uh, and uh, very very lucky to to be able to do that and that's i mean a lot of the basis of the of the brand is the research in the wild uh and bringing back that information all the the, the temperature recordings uvb recordings uh humidity recordings and just overall the physical nature of the environments where our pet reptiles are found helps create a lot of the the products that we we have today yeah, that's 100% true. And I, I asked you, that was one of the questions I had for you. So is that the primary purpose of the expeditions? They're going down there uh, to, to do research for the products or, or are they, is there another reason they're, they're also going down there? No, it's, it's, it's primarily it's about, research. about the research of, of, the, okay. of these animals and their, their wild habitats um, to create habitat accurate environments for them. And to follow the slogan of Exoterra, make your reptiles feel at home. Um, you know, it's very difficult to tell whether a pet reptile is happy in captivity. Uh, you know, there's even studies saying that, well, uh, reptiles become more prolific in captivity if they're under under stress. So we think that if they're breeding and eating, et cetera, that, that they are happy. But it's not necessarily true. So the only way we can um, make sure that they are as content as possible is to try and recreate their natural habitat. Uh, I think this was the only way we can really ensure that uh, that they're 
they're you know mentally and physically physically stimulated agreed agreed and then and then also just being able to see like the, the, the shots they put out there like for example the in the um madagascar episode seeing all the fosuma and the chameleons out there you kind of see their behavior i believe there's one shot where they had a bunch of different fosumas under insects and they were um guessing that they're they're eating whatever the insects are secreting so you're kind of learning the habitats of uh, not the habitats the habits of the yes. animals outside and what they're what they're who who they're interacting with or what they're interacting with yeah so that's, that's very cool yeah um is there any highlights on on the expeditions that that like something that um other than discovering four species of course oh i i know that um and if you watch i, I believe it's the sri lanka sri lanka expedition if you go to the very end of it that's um, okay yeah. there's there's actually a story recounting of how the team were were arrested um and the the media showed up at the same time unfortunately and they were i believe pinned for for wild collecting however they weren't doing this whatsoever at all they actually had a, a, veter a veterinarian with them and even helped a uh, a, a python that had been injured uh, on the expedition you actually see that in the expedition documentary um, and i believe they were held up in their hotel rooms for a couple of days um, and then somebody from uh, the country's embassy actually went to um, a, a, a trade show where, where we exhibit at in, in Germany every two years. Um, and they actually went to a personally apologize to, to Emmanuel about wow. uh, the, uh, what happened, what happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously you go to, to foreign countries, a lot of different things can happen. Um, and uh, it's all about that, that ad, ad, ad uncertainty and adventure, I guess. No, hundred um, percent. Yeah. Yeah, usually you hope it happens with wildlife and not with the uh, with the local uh, people. The local police. That, yeah, that's ex that's exactly what I was gonna say. That's it's very interesting. You 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 imagine all the worst possible outcomes that can happen when you go to places like this. But it's always I could get bitten by this or I could fall and hurt myself. It's never I might get stuck in my room for two days. Or I, I don't know, maybe not use that word, but imprisoned in my room for for uh, yeah. few days. That's super super interesting. Um, and then, okay, and then from all the exhibitions, uh, what would be your favorite and the one you would recommend people start with watching? Uh, hmm, that's Tough a very one. good question. <laughs> um, I really love the, the Cameroon expedition, um, seeing all the montane species of chameleons, just incredible. These are, these are very difficult species to keep in, in captivity because they require... Um, maybe one very small warm spot in the terrarium, but then high humidity and then very, very cool temperatures. Um, so we're looking at like low 20s um, for, for the, the ambient temperature in the environment. So it's, that's, that's kind of difficult to recreate. I, I think um, with different innovations, it's, it's going to become easier and easier to keep um, species like this in the future. Uh, I mean, I, we look at, I, again, I, I bring up chameleons, uh, just having automatic misting systems and, and plants, uh, you know, a, a, a dripper plant, et cetera, um, different automatic fountains and, and all these different innovations that, that have come to life over, over the years have made it more possible to keep these, these species um, 
much more successful successfully in, in the, our living longer lives now in captivity than before. I agree. And I, I will make an, uh, another point on that. Um, uh, not on chameleons, but on mountain horn dragons, the same thing. They need the, the constant dripping of water. And you guys have a product um, where it, 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 the leaf, I think it's called the leaf dripper. Or the dripper plant. The dripper plant. Thank you. Yes. And, yeah. and that, that when I, when they were still really small, I couldn't do anything really else, but use that. So that was like life-saving. So I agree. You, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> that, that product I really do recommend. Actually a good tip for that is to use it with a timer. Um, it okay. doesn't have to be continuously dripping all the time. And a lot of uh, animals become used to something that's constant. So if it is more inter intermittent, so let's say you set it up on a timer so it drips for a little a short period of time in the morning, maybe a little while after the lights come on, and then maybe in the evening before the lights go off, the, the chameleon might actually be more stimulated to go and drink from it during that time rather than it constantly dripping. And then also, we know, moving water evaporates much quicker. Right. So if it's not constantly dripping, then uh, it will evaporate uh, much, much slower and you won't have to fill up the water bowl. However, you should be changing that water bowl um, uh, fairly frequently anyway. 100%. Yeah. Another great, great um, innovation that was, was a big one for, for Exoterra was the monsoon misting systems. So right. these, these have gone through several updates and, and improvements over the years. We're currently at the uh, monsoon solo two and the multi two. Uh, these actually have uh, more powerful pumps and they've updated the material used for the tubing where that was a polyethylene before and now is a more robust polyether. The polyethylene um, and almost usually inside the terrarium uh, after maybe a year to two years or so, uh, it would spring little leaks. Uh, so okay. uh, obviously there, there is always some wear and tear with some of these products. Um, but now with the updated tubing so far, in my own experience, uh, it's been more than a, almost a year and a half and I've had no leaks in it. So it's been a, a great, great improvement there. Awesome. And on the topic of your experiences, um, why don't we jump to some of your favorite, like those were some of the more innovative ones. Why don't we uh, jump to some of them, your, your favorite ones that you actually use at home? Well, uh, again, the monsoon is is definitely key with uh, a lot of the, the, the uh, amphibians because I keep a lot of frogs today. Um, I did, well, over 20 years ago, um, was I, maybe in Canada, I don't know. I mean, definitely for Quebec, uh, where I live, uh, I was one of the first people breeding crested geckos. So over years, I, I bred um, geckos coming from the, the island of New Caledonia, but then have evolved and gotten into dirt frogs. So today I keep uh, numerous dart frog species and yeah, I definitely need to have uh, misting systems uh, for them. So the monsoons have definitely been a uh, key for that. Um, and uh, yeah, aside from that, um, the new Terra Sky that came out last year, since, since I'm into the whole hobby of, of bioactive and planted terrariums, right. um, the Terra Sky light is, is really fantastic for the, for the plants that I grow in the terrariums. And then not only that, there's the, the substratum, okay. the, uh, the new bioactive volcanic soil substrate um, we came out with last year uh, that, uh, I mean, so far, I mean, for, for effective plant growth, it's just absolutely incredible. 
Awesome. That's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about the, the new substratum. I also recently got my hands on a bag and I'm starting to test it out. Um, we've had discussions on it uh, together in the past. So I think maybe yeah, we, we could yeah. highlight some of those topics. Um, so besides besides for using them in vivarium frog tanks, I believe you culture your springtails on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. You'll, you'll notice that I, I do bring it up in one of the Frogs & Co. videos for substratum. I do show a, a, a deli container where I've been raising uh, springtails on it. Uh, substratum contains carbon. So I'll, everyone is keeping a lot of the, the springtails and isopods with, with charcoal. charcoal. And we do see, like we actually physically see even isopods like glued themselves to, to chunks of charcoal. And they're obviously feeding on the minerals that are that the charcoal contains. So... Um, the substratum is an excellent choice uh, for something ready-made. Uh, it's all uniform, the same size, a little little um, pebbles or um, pellets, I guess you could say. And uh, it's actually at, at the like microscopic level. It's very porous too. So just also for the plant roots, it's excellent for for the growth of plant roots. Um, it's going to add if you're going to use it mixed in. Uh, to create your bioactive mixed substrate, it's great to, to add aeration, um, but it also retains quite a lot of moisture too, if you've noticed. So, um, and then other uses all, uh, outside of the, the reptile hobby, uh, I've seen people using it online for planting uh, in pots with philodendrons. Um, so again, plants that could be used in the terrarium hobby, but are in, end up beautiful house plants as well. Uh, I've seen hobbyists do that. I've actually um, experimenting with growing my tomatoes with it. And so far I've had some pretty, pretty incredible results. Uh, That's awesome. it, it has everything that, that is, is uh, essential for the, the, the growth and propagation of, of plants. We all know that volcanic soil is, is known to be the most fertile of soils on the planet. And mineral rich, right? Yeah. Yeah. And do you mix it in with, uh, you mentioned that a couple of seconds ago, but I didn't, I, I'm not sure I caught that correctly. So you mix it, you don't use it alone. You do mix it in with other things. Uh, I do both. You I do both. both. Okay. So um, because the the frogs and terrariums have the built-in drain, this allows you to do an all-in-one substrate. So you can have just substratum Stratum. in the base of it. Um, I find as long as you put a very healthy, thick layer of it, because um, you're always going to have, even though the, the you can drain out the water in the base of the terrarium, there's always going to be a little bit of wetness at the bottom. Definitely. So I do I do advise to you know have a thick enough layer so that uh, and I'm I'm talking a good five six inches or so if you can. I always grade the the substrate up towards the back of the terrarium um, and plant more of my my plants that are going to have deeper roots. Um, in, in towards the back of the terrarium, whereas the epiphytes, I'm not really too, too worried. A lot of them will grow up the backgrounds, yeah. et cetera, and on the, the pieces of wood too. Right. Um, yeah. So in those terrariums, I do an all-in-one, whereas in uh, a, a terrarium where I'm actually going to be setting up a drainage layer uh, and there is no built-in drain, that's where I might actually do a mix. I've done uh, on its own, but I might like to try and do a, a nice thick layer of mixing our plantation soil uh, so the the coconut fiber um, substrate mixed with 
um, example are rainforest substrate, which is a, mix, a bark mixture with bits of sphagnum moss for helping retain extra moisture, and then some of the substratum. Uh, so I guess, I don't know, roughly, I mean, it, there's no real science to the ratios, but I like to do maybe a 35, 40% of, of plantation soil, then maybe about 30% of rainforest mixed with another 30% of, of the uh, substratum. Uh, so it doesn't need to have that much substratum in there. It's adding a lot of that extra nutrient boost to the, uh, to the, uh, the mixture. Yeah, and so on. instead of using something like worm castings, where you could end up with like worm eggs or something in the in the, uh, in the substrate, yeah, substrate does the same thing, right? Kind of. Yeah, like, and it, I, I think it's also um, with with the substratum, you're not gonna add too much of of um, of it's it's perfectly balanced, so right. you're not gonna have an imbalance. Whereas you add too much of a, a manure type kind of kind of um, uh, fertilizer to your terrarium, I think you could end up creating some imbalances if you add too much. It's the same thing as your vegetable garden. If you add too much of the of, of a manure to it, you could end up burning plants rather than actually um, uh, growing them well. <laughs> so, uh, whereas I know I, I've done it in the past. Go, you can't go wrong with the the substratum. It's it's all it all has a great balance of all the different uh, uh, minerals in there. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, that's a very interesting thought on using uh, just an entire thick layer of it with the uh, frogs and covarium. I think I'd like to try that someday because I, I used have, to use. Sorry, I have one, um, one frogs and covarium that's been set up for a year and a half, and uh, it still drains perfectly. Plants are growing great. I've even been able to grow a beautiful layer of moss over the surface of of the substratum itself. That's In other cases, I will put like a, a layer of our forest moss, the exoterra forest moss over the top um, to prevent the um, the substratum from getting stuck to the frog's skin and right. getting tracked into the water bowl, et cetera. Or the, the frog pond is a, is a neat little one that has a, a pebble design that goes over the edge of the uh, the substrate. It's actually quite nice. I actually like to use it for uh, other species, not just frogs, because I find yeah. that with like baby geckos, it's easier for them to climb out and like yes. reduce the risk of them like getting stuck in there but yeah yeah um no that's 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 very interesting and i actually used to use uh used to use not the substratum uh but the aquarium version of it that yeah. produces this the fluval stratum i guess yeah i mean it's all it's all made from by our company um and it's it's actually soil harvested from a real uh volcano it's 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 a mount in in japan and it's, I think, I believe it's Japan's largest active volcano. Uh, and wow. you can easily find information about that volcano online. That's very interesting. Very, very cool. Um, awesome. Uh, so before we jump into specifically what species you're keeping in your house, I do have a couple of um, questions from people on my Instagram for uh, to ask you, if that's okay. Excellent. Just a couple of them. So I put yep. up yesterday a little thing, like uh, ask Exoterra if you have anything to ask them. And I got a couple of really good questions. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire them at you. Uh, the first one is what goes in, what goes into the process of designing the terrariums? Well, I mean, obviously recently, the, the most recent terrariums that did, that were released last, uh, last year uh, were the Frogs and Co. terrariums. And I do know that they, those were in development for, for more than two years. Wow. So 
Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of back and forth between uh, the design team and the, the actual factory where it's made trial and error, really trying to answer all the demands of what, what our fans, what the hobbyists are looking for uh, and, and bringing the product to life. And then, but also trying to maintain the right price on it too. We want to make sure that it's, a, it's affordable for everyone. So that is a, a really delicate balance. Um, and, and even more so today, of course, with the, the cost of, of everything um, as, as we know it uh, currently, it's uh, getting very, very difficult. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the terrariums, as, as we know, you know, Exoterra came around in, in the year 2000, and then it was only 2004 by the first Exoterra terrariums came out. Um, and then the next update they had, which was simply, I believe, to the, the covers, yes. um, going from the clip-in style to the drop-in with the rotating. Which I like so much more. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, so th that, that happened uh, sometime between 2010 and 2012. I joined the company in 2012, so it's been 10 years now. Wow. Um, and uh, as as of uh, from since then, the screen uh, on the terrariums, it's been about five, six years now that the screen no longer rusts. In the past, it would rust. Now it, it absolutely, I can attest to it personally with my dart frog setups where, you know, some I have actually um, panels of plexiglass holding in the moisture and, and on the original style exoteric terrariums and, it, and the screen is sat immersed in water for years <laughs> yeah not not rusted so come a long way since then that's very interesting i actually noticed that myself and didn't didn't realize that there had been a change and i just thought that oh maybe it's just not getting as wet as usual but i have some really old vivariums with the clip-ins yeah. still that are rusted and i've had to get them replaced and then um some of my newer ones, it's been like you said, three, four years, and, and there's no rust. So I, I didn't know that, that there was a change. In yeah, they call that they call that a rolling a rolling change. So okay. that's when you know something is is improved and it just keeps keeps on going in the, the iterations of the improvements. Um, and who knows? Hopefully, we'll see some uh, different updates uh, in the future to the exoterrariums. Nothing that can be said as of, as of right now. For sure, yeah. I will say my, my favorite update about the Frogs and Co. one was adding that drainage. I think it's a genius yes. idea and definitely needed, oh, especially for us frog keepers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I've been asking about it for, for yeah. some time now. I know some might say, hey, you know, if you miss properly, you won't get water accumulation, but... Uh, Eventually, it's going to happen. Easier said than done. Mm -hmm. uh, the seasons change. I mean, we watch the humidity levels change in our in our reptile rooms. Um, and then when the, the higher humidity comes, all of a sudden you start noticing, oh, I got to adjust the, the misting in, in my terrariums because it's it's missing a little bit too frequently now. Um, and you're getting some water accumulation. Whereas having that drain is so, so convenient uh, for being able to just drain out that water if you have to. Uh, then in the event that, uh, especially the tree frog terrarium, if you wanted to uh, have use it almost as a shallower paludarium, right? Uh, you could do really easy water changes with that system. That's what's right. um, really great. I've seen uh, a, a few of the different um, YouTubers out there uh, do do paludarium style setups like that, and uh, are very inspiring. Um, so there is a valve on it, then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Okay. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay, that that is that is a very good idea. I've, I I didn't even consider that. Like water changes. Well, I, if if you don't have um, uh, a pet or a child, maybe that will yeah. muck with <laughs> your your um, your dream. Um, you could just leave it open, open. That's in, what, in a, yeah. a, a small bucket on the floor, so it's constantly draining out. However, you know, I have a young young son at home, so yes. he tends to maybe go and play with and, and fiddle with things. So Pull the wire, yeah, yeah. It's you know, I, I leave it tucked away in, inside the cabinet and where he doesn't play with it. No, that, that definitely makes sense. Awesome. Okay, um, so question number two: um, What sets you apart, or what sets Exoterra apart from their competition, in your opinion? Well, I think it's something we've already talked about today. The expeditions are, are, are something that's really uh, amazing and unique to Exoterra to actually go to the destinations where a lot of our, our pets actually come from and learning about what they, their, their natural habits and the, the, the physical environment where they, where they exist in the wild. So I think that is uh, invaluable to, to the brand and, uh, it really sets uh, sets us apart from from the others out there. Uh, also, a lot of the scientific aspect um, of it, you know, using using some names for some of our products that actually mean something. Um, the UVB bulbs, for example, UVB 100, 150, and 200. Uh, these names actually are measurements of UVB rays at an average distance from the bulb. I'm not expecting everyone to remember what microwatts by centimeter squared is. Sure. But again, it's, it's to say that it, it actually is, is referring to an actual measurement. Uh, and a lot of the packaging shows uh, measurements of the UVB rays at, you know, certain uh, uh, various distances from the bulb, which is important to know yes. um, because you have to know how far you should be placing your UVB bulb from your pet reptile. Too close, it could be harmful in certain situations, too far away and not effective. It's actually not um, doing anything to help help your pet. So I think a lot of the, the research on the lighting um, has has uh, set us apart out there. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I've actually seen um, on the packaging the, the distance from the bulb that you're referring to. But yeah, I had no idea that um, the 100, the 150 and the 200 meant meant something. I, you know, I thought they were just maybe the additions or something. So yeah. that's very, very, very interesting. Okay. Um, awesome. Uh, and then two more questions. Um, the next one is, uh, is Exoterra used in commercial use or is it strictly for hobbyists at home? Um, depends on what you mean by commercial use. If you're referring to like an example, a zoo. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Zoos across Canada um, definitely use uh, Exoterra products. So I've I've spoken to them spoken to them on the phone before, and actually we even sponsored the uh, one time we sponsored the Canadian accredited zoos and aquariums uh, conference, uh, and that was a, a very interesting experience for for myself, awesome. uh, and I got to, to see and, and get to hang out with some people that I already know out there, and uh, yeah, just uh, just great to see that uh, how our how our products are used. Um, quite often, I've I've even visited zoos myself and seen our Exoterra water dishes, which um, and a lot of our different ornaments, which are 
Um, you know, we kind of internally call functional decor. They actually serve a purpose um, for the physiological physiological well-being of the of the pet hides, water bowls, and they all actually have trying to have that most realistic look as as possible. So mm -hmm. they actually end up looking fantastic in a zoo exhibit. Uh, mercury vapor bulbs. These are used a lot in in zoos, uh, especially the higher powered 160 watt model, which can be used for a lot of larger reptiles, which don't necessarily make uh, good pets, but are excellent uh, for education in zoos, uh, i.e. monitors and crocodilians, etc. Okay. Yeah, awesome. That is very cool. I actually, I did, I didn't know. That. I assumed that that's what the person meant by commercial. So we're gonna go with that. Yeah. Uh, but that that's very interesting. And then I have one more question for you. Um, and this one is actually uh, from from Dion Reptiliatus. Oh, that and he, guy. And he wants to know, <laughs> and he wants, he, he, he wanted to ask, he says, Jesse, what is, or ask Jesse what his favorite type of tomato is. To, for, favorite type of? Tomato. Tomato. Well, I don't know yet. You don't know yet. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll let him know. Or I guess he'll have to watch that, this to get his answer. That's, that's very un, un, uh, unexoteric-like uh, uh, question. Uh, <laughs> um, that's, that's okay today. Uh, we, we, we've already uh, discussed that we were going to ask some personal questions about yes. Jesse. Um, but yeah, no, I'm uh, growing a, a whole lot of different uh, heirloom varieties of tomatoes at home. But yeah, I, I don't know yet because there are thousands of different kinds. So... Awesome. I, can't, I can't really correctly answer that question, Dion. Uh, <laughs> that says when I heard you, I heard you mention tomatoes earlier, like a little bit earlier, you said you're growing. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh, okay. So there is something to do with tomatoes here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's awesome. Okay. Um, so then can we dive a little bit more into Jesse and Jesse's collection then? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So what, what I, I know, I, I know from past conversations that you, you big dark frog keeper like myself, but what are you keeping? Uh, what species and what else besides star frogs? Um, what else aside from dart frogs? I have one, yeah. one lone uh, Eurydactylodes agricoli, um, okay. Bowers uh, chameleon gecko. Yeah. Um, uh, just one that I, I I've had for for numerous years, uh, and I have well, not a reptile, but I have a uh, emperor scorpion. Um, that is very cool. This is actually a, a kind of a, a, a life longevity project that I, I personally have uh, that scorpion is is now pushing 14 years old and wow. was actually born with me in 2008 so yeah uh, I remember reading a lot of books that these species uh, maybe they could live just a bit past 10 years but so far um, 14 uh, yeah 14 who knows maybe they can live in excess of 20 years or so um, only time will find out. I'm trying to keep it as, as naturally as, as possible with a very thick uh, layer of, of plantation soil so it can burrow naturally down into the moist substrate the way they do in the wild. And uh, yep, not, I don't feed it too, too often. Um, I mean, at least, at least once a week, but it's, and sometimes you can go a couple of weeks and they're just, they're just fine. But yeah, it's, uh, living a was, long time you said it was born with you uh, well i mean, you mean was, there was a, a female um large emperor scorpion that uh, i had as a pet i had it for a year and then it gave birth and wow. uh i let her raise the babies 
I did not remove any of the, the, the offspring from her back. Um, and then even witnessed her, like she had her, her downward spiral burrow in her, in her, in the terrarium and could see into the burrow at the, at the bottom. And when I would feed crickets into the terrarium, I actually watched her rip apart the crickets and the, the offspring would, would go and eat it. Um, wow. it was very fascinating. I love yeah. that stuff. Um, that's very I mean, cool. That's, I mean, I've been a passionate hobbyist for, for good, uh, um, 25 years or so now. And, uh, yeah, that was one, one fascinating experience to see. And I successfully raised every single baby emperor scorpion. Um, the rest were, were sold off, uh, uh, can't even remember where they went, uh, but maybe to tarantula Canada. I can't, I can't remember. Uh, but, and I kept one and I've had it ever since. That is very, very cool story. Yeah. Very cool story. Um, awesome. And then on, on the dark frog side, what species are you keeping? So currently breeding, um, breeding only had yes. one, one species that I've been success, successfully breeding, which is the uh, Dendrobates tinctorius uh, cobalts. Awesome. Um, and so I have two, two pairs of those. Uh, I have, um, some uh, Dendrobates leucomellas, just standard bumblebees. I have um, uh, Ufaga uh, pumilio um, blue jeans. Um, it's unknown. I've been reading lots whether they're actually called Ufaga typographica. Someone um, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if someone's uh, watching this. Um, but Interesting. I've done some some reading where it's it's said that the Nicaraguan blue jeans are actually Ufaga typographica, but it's I guess I'm I'm unsure about that. Um, as and if then, you know, I just say Pumilio, and then I have Pumilio Ufaga Pumilio Punta Laurel, and cool. uh, one other um, obscure species is uh, Phyllobates uh, orantania. That's mm. the if I'm going to pronounce it correctly, the Cocoa poison frog. Um, they're found in the Choco rainforest, so rainforest. Uh, a threatened area in South America. That's very cool. And then, so is it is it that like the Ufaga Pumilio from Nicaragua was renamed to Typographica, and the one from other locales is still Pumilio? Is that what you were kind of yeah? As far as, I, as far as I can tell, okay. um, but I'm I'm no I'm not gonna say I'm an expert on it, um, and. Uh, Yes, as far as I know, I mean, most people just still call them Pumilio blue jeans, and and that's it. Uh, yeah. But uh, I saw some different different info out there, so um, maybe that's we get some some, some of the viewers to chime in and, and add their 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 two cents about it. I'd yeah. like to I'd like to read about it myself. So. Yeah. Hopefully, if anybody knows, yeah, um, shoot me a message. Shoot Jesse a message. Let's let's get that. Figure that, or just comment on it. You don't have to shoot or my just, message. Yeah, or, or just comment. Yeah, sorry. Yes, that that. Uh, uh, awesome. Um, so besides besides your your the reptile keeping, um, I know you're a man of many passions. Yeah. And you are also a very talented photographer. Well, um, I mean, I would say it's amateur amateur wildlife <laughs> photography. Um, I've seen the pictures. I would say it's more than amateur. Um, if we could talk about that for a minute, and then you, no, no, for sure. Um, if we could talk about the the like the bird and the wildlife photography minute, and then I know you also do um, trail cameras, and yeah. Um, yeah, so so yeah, if we could dive into that for a couple of minutes, that's that's very yeah, interesting. sure, sure. 
So, uh, I mean, obviously it's like, I'm a real human being yeah. <laughs> and I have, I have maybe too many hobbies. My, my wife might say I might have too yeah. many hobbies, but listen, like the, the, you have to enjoy life, enjoy the, this, the, this, the, the variety of different things you can experience out there is, is just incredible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the outdoors and wildlife is, is a big thing for me. Uh, and over the years I've gotten into wildlife photography, now mostly birds, but that's because they're, they're around a lot more reptiles, um, and amphibians are actually, you know, not so easy to find. Um, especially here in Canada. Uh, my, wife, my wife's family, um, in an area called, uh, Grenville, Grenville sur la Rouge, Quebec, um, on the property there, there are four species of snakes I have found so far. So garter snakes, uh, ringneck snakes, uh, red belly snakes, and smooth green snakes as awesome. well. Could be brown snakes, but not confirmed at this time. Um, and uh, then there's two species of turtles, which is the two most common ones around. We've got painted turtles and snapping turtles and then amphibians. Um, there's spring creepers and gray tree frogs, um, yellow spotted salamanders, blue spotted salamanders, red back salamanders. That's awesome. And probably, well, obviously there's the green frogs and bullfrogs. Um, and I don't know if I've found any others, but yeah, I mean, a nice, a nice variety of, of herps out yeah. there. Um, and, uh, but yeah, if, if I have the opportunity to take a photograph of a, of a reptile, that's, just awesome. Love it. Um, and, uh, but birds are, are one of my specialties. Uh, that's just because again, like a lot, a lot of wildlife photographers really go for, for birds because it, well, it is, it is challenging because a lot of the small ones move really quickly and yeah. it's, it's difficult to get that sharp shot that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, and then when you, when you're using a, a, a like a, a, a long lens, um, you get to see things that, everyone else doesn't. So all my family and friends around me, you know, they're, they're usually just sitting out there and enjoying themselves. Oh, birds. And I say, look at that. And they're looking like, is that bird blue? And, and it's a little indigo bunting that's, that's uh, at the bird feeder. And uh, when you see a photo of it, you wouldn't believe your eyes, how, how blue this little bird is. And you would almost never know it's there unless you were actually really paying attention. Um, or looking through that long lens. Yeah, I love yeah. birds of prey. Um, I, yeah. I, I I really specialize in in uh, capturing photos of owls. I find owls are highly fascinating. A lot of people ask me, "Is like how do you go and find owls?" I was gonna say, "How do you find the owls?" <laughs> usually, usually it's in the seasons where there's no leaves on the trees because um, this uh, allows them to be spotted a lot a lot yeah, easier. Than during the summer, like this time of year, I'm not really look, going out and looking for owls because it, it is too way too difficult um, to walk through the forest and try and spot one. Their their plumage and everything is is made to camouflage with their environment, and these guys are are masters of of camouflage, and uh, it's it's amazing when you spot one because it's you know it's I guess it's almost like finding that really cool reptile out yeah. there. You're so excited. And that's the thing is like when you when you're out there exploring and you find something you've been looking for, you become a child again. Yes. You have that yes. that 
that feeling the, from your childhood of, of it, it, discovering something for the first time. Like being all um, giddy and yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, also on, on that, that property, I do have um, trail cameras. Um, they're, they're normally used for hunting. I don't hunt. Uh, I hunt with a camera and, yes. <laughs> and, and also other uh, smaller cameras um, that are motion um, detection triggered so that when an animal walks in front of it, it turns on. And I've never actually captured any any reptiles yet. Um, however, I've never really stuck the cameras at that kind of level where you would spot a reptile moving. I've never yeah. really experimented whether it would work. I guess maybe for some large turtles, it, it might it might actually trigger on. Um, but yeah, I'm always curious about what's out there when you're not there. And uh, like when you're in real, the real wild where people don't go, a lot of the wildlife is very skittish and nervous. And quite often you might go walking and you won't see a thing. Yeah. So because they hear you and smell you way before you even get anywhere near them. Or and, and they take off. So a lot of people said, you're not afraid of bears? No, I'm not really. I mean, you know, I don't live in an area where there's grizzly bears. And I mean, there are black bears around. And more often than not, they're more afraid of you yeah. than uh, you are afraid of them. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yes, I, I do have a lot of fun with that. I do have a personal YouTube channel where I share some of those that footage. Um, it's uh, not uh, of uh, Dion caliber, I guess we can say. <laughs> the quality of, of, of uh, YouTube footage, uh, personally, just to be honest. Um, but again, it's just part of my passion to, to explore and, and, and learn about what's, what's out there. Um, yeah. The unknown is just so fascinating to me. I agree. Do you want to, put, do you want to say the name of the channel right now? Or? Sorry? Do you want to say the name of the channel? Or? Well, the name of the channel is just Jesse DeLuca. So okay. My, okay just, yeah. my, just my name. So okay. if you want to actually go and, and explore that, uh, yeah, you can find that out there. And uh, yeah, even my, my wildlife photography, I do have an Instagram. It's it's Jesse DeLuca Wildlife Photography. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm out there on social media. I mean, I do in, in uh, act as a hobbyist on a lot of the different groups here in, in Canada, and I'm, I'm there purely as, as a hobbyist. Um, and uh, I, if you if you want to contact me in a professional way, you can write into Exoteric Canada on the uh, Exoteric Canada Facebook page and ask questions there um, for for Exoterra. That's yeah, that's definitely. Um, and I'll have the the links to the YouTube channel and Instagram uh, in the description. Sure. That's, yeah. that's that's super interesting. I I also. I'm super curious about uh, what's going on out there when we're not out there. Uh, I've never, I've never tried getting a trail cam and putting it up. So that's, that's super interesting. I, I was wondering, do you think that you're not catching or another possibility of you not catching reptiles, maybe they're too small to sensor to hit the, hit the center. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, why like we're referring said, to bigger turtles. Yeah. I, I would have to put the camera at their level. You know, if I wanted to capture a, a snake or whatever, actually you're giving me some ideas now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would, I would almost have to um, place the camera very low, um, let's say like in a garden. However, a lot of these trail cameras are sometimes triggered by changing sunlight. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, during the summertime, I actually do set them all to only be on um, to capture motion during dawn, dusk and at night. Because during the day, there might be wind, there might be a lot of changing light that 
gets a lot of false triggers and fills up the memory card. Um, and then you end up with, you know, not, not capturing what you're looking for. Um, whereas if you save the battery power one, um, that's, that's helpful. And then the, the memory card is, is also something that, uh, is, is a commodity while, while using these, uh, these types of products, um, cause it gets filled up very easily. Um, yeah, but I guess if you placed it at the level of where a snake might slither kind of thing, I guess maybe in, in theory it, sh it should work. I just wonder how much, like I would have to place it in a garden, um, at that perfect, perfect level. But again, when you think about it, it's like, you know, when I see the snakes around our house that, that come out, they come out, you know, maybe around 8, 30, 9 a.m., maybe a little bit earlier than that if it's hotter. And they bath for a little while mm -hmm. and then they they go and uh, disappear. So they are out uh, in the open. They are getting UVB rays. So just a, an observation. Yeah. A lot of our, our local colorbreds are, are actually basking but not, not for a long period of time. So that's something always to, to keep in mind. Um, many different reptiles, they, they're not sitting in the sun for the entire day. So quite often, I think a lot of us want to you know, like give a lot of UVB rays to our pet reptiles. Um, and that's not always necessarily exactly what is, what is right, you know, so when I measure a lot of our, our with a UVB meter, uh, measuring a lot of our, our, our UVB bulbs um, with how much they produce, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that might come and say like, oh, it's not strong enough. But again, you have to ask the question of how much does the animal really actually actually need? And especially in a small container or like yeah, a small, in a like small, in a small area, small environment, like, yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's right. I, I, I once heard something about uh, somebody that was keeping the UVB on these lychees for, um, it was lychees and green tree pythons, if I remember correctly, and they were keeping them on for like extended periods of times, around 10 to 12 hours a day, and, that, and, and the animals started looking different and growing different colors and not in the healthy or the good way. Um, okay. so, so I, I try to keep the, like when the UVBs are on my room, I try to keep it on for around like four or five hours maximum. And then that's usually where, um, you know, certain species will get another, an extra hour or two, but I, I worry about it as well. Yeah. And and then you have to a, lot of, a lot of the prepared foods out there, all of our prepared foods have a minute amount that has a small amount of vitamin, vitamin D in there. Yeah. So, um, you know, you don't want to go, go overboard with that. Like, uh, if, if you have an animal that already um, doesn't, uh, uh, you know, doesn't need a lot of, of UVB rays for the, the production of vitamin, vitamin D, but then also is getting it in its supplements and food, you have to ask the question is like, where do you, where do you draw the line? Yeah, uh, where's too much? Yeah. I oh, mean, to me, it's like as long as there's some in their body, um, then it's it's good enough, and they will assimilate their their essential minerals. I did have one more question about the trail cams. Actually, how often are you leaving them out there before you go back and collect them? Oh, that's always a good question. Um, so uh, you don't want to check them too frequently. Why? Because we stink. <laughs> well, just to, to put it <laughs> honestly, we we have we have we leave odors. So interesting. Um, when you touch the camera. You're going to leave an odor behind that the animals can smell. I've actually even noticed certain animals that will completely avoid the cameras um, 
instinctively because they do smell you. So I do make sure that I don't check them every week. Uh, it, if, if I could leave them for three weeks, that's great, but I get a little bit too anxious. And, <laughs> you know, you, you, you're like, a, you know, you, you, again, like I said, it's like when you go to check that camera and you see that amazing thing uh, when you've captured a big, big bull moose or, or uh, possibly a wolf or something like that, uh, that's, awesome. that's when it's really, really exciting. So uh, if you have a better chance of capturing that kind of wildlife, um, you know, the less often you go, the better. And then there's bears. So bears are big, strong, and very curious. Um, and black bears can end up destroying your camera if they mm. are curious enough to, and they smell you. So I've had them go up to the cameras and put full, full teeth on and everything. I've had one that did get, and luckily it was a cheap and expensive trail camera and it got puncture holes on it and everything. Um, and, uh, I've had others where they, they just managed to just knock it over cause it was on a pole like device. Um, wow. and I think, I've heard of the ones that, that do get destroyed is when the person is using a locked cable, a metal cable, because then the bear might pull harder on the, the camera and break it that way because he has to pull harder at it to get at it and flop it around on the ground and, and make sure that it's not something that he might like to eat. Um, yeah, so that's always something that, uh, you know, the less often you touch the cameras, the, the better. I've heard of guys that will disguise it with, with uh, um, I guess, like an herbal kind of extract scent of, of kinds. However, you got to make sure you use something that's not attractive um, yeah. to, let's say, a bear. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of the cool animals that I've, I've, I've seen are, well, it, and that's one thing that's very interesting and debatable is um, uh, our wolves and coyotes have pretty much hybridized in what everyone calls, you know, it's just called that. It's not an actual species or scientific term. The koi wolf. The koi wolf. Yeah. Um, I've read uh, articles where researchers from Algonquin Park have have even said that their eastern wolves are very difficult to distinguish between the coyotes now because they're all looking very, very similar. Mm. Um, and uh, I have a few clips that you can look at on my, my channel where it's debatable whether I see wolves or whether I'm looking at, at, at koi wolves, but all of our coyotes in Eastern North America are hybrids. They're That's all right. mixes. They've said they're all mixes of wolf and various dog breeds like German shepherd and stuff like that. So they are much larger than the Western coyote um, and are of the size that could possibly you know, take down a deer uh, rather than just the small game, the, the rabbits and, and uh, partridge and stuff like that. Yeah. That's very interesting. How often, well, first of all, I want to say, I, when I was asking you that question, I was kind of thinking you were going to tell me, <laughs> you know, two nights, <laughs> I leave it for three days maximum, like three oh, weeks. I, that's, a, that's quite a while. I didn't, I was. I'm, uh, I know that at the beginning when I first started doing that, I, yeah, I would put the camera out for like, you know, one night. And yeah. rush to go check it the next day. Oh, nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so you get very excited um, and want to check them frequently. But yeah, not not a good idea. Um, I My goal is to capture a lot of the big cats um, that are in the area. There are um, lynx, Canadian lynx, and um, there's uh, bobcats. 
So I would love to be able to, to capture these, uh, these cats on the cameras, but they're very elusive and um, they are very intelligent and have keen noses. So I think they, 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 they try to stay away or they're not just, they're just not always around. They follow their, their, the prey, the prey population, namely uh, the snowshoe hares. Uh, Canada lynx is known with that. Um, for that, they, their population raises and falls with uh, with the population of the snowshoe hare, specifically. Very, very, very interesting. So what's, what is the coolest uh, animal you've seen on the cam cameras? Uh, I mean, my favorite is always when I see a bull moose. Yeah, bull moose. yeah. yeah very okay. impressive. See that big rack of antlers on there. Um, definitely, I've, the latest clip I had from the fall was one that came at, at night. And you could see his breath breathing in front of the camera. I put it in slow motion. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, I love the fishers. Um, this is a very large weasel species that uh, I guess is like second to the wolverine. You'd look at it and you think it's a wolverine. Um, and the wolverine is a, is a large weasel, basically. Highly intelligent, um, ferocious uh, creature that... Uh, Fishers are known to even take down a, a Canada lynx um, in, in rare circumstances. Wow. Everyone, everyone talks about and worries about them eating uh, neighborhood cats in, in more populated areas. But I think biologists have said that 2% of their diet makes up of domestic cats. So they're not, they're really not always eating cats. They're probably yeah. eating a lot of smaller prey. Um, yeah. yeah. It's probably the koi wolves eating the cats getting blamed on the on the fishers. <laughs> it, it could be that too. But yeah, no, it's it's a it's a fun little little hobby of mine, uh, along with with others. I do foraging for wild edibles, um, wild edible mushrooms. That's um, so that I'm coming up on that that season right now. It's moral season now, right? Or moral mushroom season? Morels are, Morels, are yeah. have, have kind of ended in our area. Okay. Um, okay. Further north. Where it's much cooler, um, they there might be still some morels left, but coming up in another two three weeks, uh, the chanterelles will be coming up. Uh, so that's something I love to I, I love taking photos of, um, yeah. but uh, love to pick and eat them as well. That's very interesting. You have to know your stuff with picking wild mushrooms because I... <laughs> they always say, um, uh, "What's the saying?" There's a joke. Um, are any mushrooms poisonous i can't remember how it goes i'm gonna make this sound really bad <laughs> being um uh oh yeah are, are all mushrooms edible um uh yes, yes. You eat it for the last time i guess yeah, something, yeah. something along so, those yeah. lines. I'm, I'm saying it completely wrong it usually sounds a lot better than that but obviously I, yeah if you technically eat they are all edible but yeah. <laughs> it might be your last meal. No, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's interesting. Um, do, I, I, I assume uh, it's it's different mushrooms as the season goes. It's not it's not just per area. Like every area has yeah one kind of mushroom, right? I well, yeah, going out. You, there's different species you find in different areas of North America and, and the world. Um, and then obviously with the seasons as they as they go, it it changes and you find different ones. Um, it's always always very very interesting because it, it's it's constantly changing yeah. and but that's what I, I love about all all nature i have i mean with my hobbies that i do like i have something to do with every changing season 
um, whether it be winter or, or summer or spring or fall, um, there's always something to, to get out there and, and see and explore. Uh, yeah, hundred percent agree. That's that's super interesting. I, I've tried. To, I, I've considered going out a few times, but I have li like little to no information on on those mushrooms. So yeah, I'm not do going that. to risk it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, awesome. Should we jump back to some uh, some of the exoterra stuff then? Sure. Um, are there a few things that that just came out that maybe we can touch on and and go yeah, over absolutely. Some and stuff? There, okay. Over the last two years, there was like a slew of new products. Um, I mean, Frogs & Co. is one. Um, we've already spoken about everything that went with that. We even do have a, a, a dedicated website called frogsandco.com um, where you will find all those products. And then even um, there's 17 highly detailed care sheets on 17 different commonly kept species of frogs. Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, the, the information in there is incredible uh, uh, of what you can find. So I, I encourage everyone to go take a, take a look at that website. Um, at, for each of the main products of Frogs & Co., there is a vi YouTube video at the bottom of the page starring yours truly. Um, awesome. And uh, yeah, aside from that, uh, over the last year, the new incubator. So Okay, yeah. Let's, yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about the new incubator for a minute? The, yeah. The new incubator is no longer... Um, the mini fridge and cooling's fridge style uh, incubator like we had before that is mm -hmm. now gone and discontinued. This new um, uh, tabletop style, uh, the Precision Pro incubator uh, uses an actual dimming and pulse proportional thermostat. And not only a thermostat, it has a hygrostat too. Awesome. So um, it's effectively and precisely will will maintain the temperature especially on pulse proportional mode i i guess i i probably wouldn't personally use it on any other mode than that because pulse proportional is going to raise the te temperature to the desired te set temperature very quickly and then gently pulse and that is going to keep that that temperature the most constant compared to dimming dimming is when it will gently go up and down Okay. Um, and if you had an on off thermostat, it's constantly shutting on and off and, um, it's going to be less accurate, accurate enough, but less accurate. Uh, and the addition of the hygrostat, because it actually has this little donut fogger, uh, ultrasonic fogger that you place in the base of the, of the, uh, incubator that um and you can it can hold a certain level of water in the bottom of the the incubator and that little new donut uh, fogger will draw water from underneath it and it floats so when the water level drops which actually it doesn't drop very much it's <laughs> um, sealed right yeah yeah um i actually ran a test for a couple of weeks uh, maintaining over 80 percent humidity in it and the water level did not drop at all wow um so it was constantly maintaining that that 80% level of humidity inside the, the incubator and uh, also maintaining temperature um, as well. Uh, and uh, since this is made by the same factory that makes our thermostats, which actually have had an incredible track record for reliability um, that we've been very, very happy with. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why our, our our thermostat line went from three models to six. 
So hmm. we uh, have our two basic analog on-off models of the thermostats. Um, and now we have a dimming pulse proportional uh, analog model. So it doesn't have a digital screen on it. Uh, that's 300 uh, capable of handling up to 300 watts. Then we have our three flagship models, which um, each of which have a date and night timer. Um, and that is just amazing. Think of it. In the past, could we ever simulate a nighttime temperature drop for your pet reptile? No. So you're saying that these thermostats, we can connect to like heat pads and, and other. Um, yes. Wow. That's I, I didn't even know that this was a thing. If we could. Yeah. yeah. If we could talk about this for a minute. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, in, in the wild at nighttime, naturally, the temperature so drops. For sure. So how is it natural if we maintain, uh, let's say, you know, people keeping, keeping snakes, they may not always have a, a heat lamp or whatever, but with the same temperature, 24 hours a day, yeah. that's not, that's not natural to them. No. So they need to have that, that temperature drop, uh, for, for night. And, um, so these, these new models, um, you can program what time of day it is and then program when you want it to, drop the temperature and when you want the temperature to raise back up. And not only that, it in the event of a power failure, now I'm not talking about like a very long power failure, like a lot of us uh, in the, the Toronto to to uh, Quebec City region a couple of weeks ago experienced, yes. um, uh, you know, a, a power failure that, like normal that we might experience for a couple hours, it actually keeps the memory. Um, it, it has... Uh, just a, a, a small um, capacitor inside that retains the the a bit of energy that that helps hold that memory of uh, of, of the time, so that the when settings. it turns back on, there's nothing to do. The settings are still there that it has maintained the same time. Now, if in the event that you've probably had a day or a couple day long power failure. That's when you may have to reprogram it, but it's it's so easy to, to program. It's not that big a deal, especially if <laughs> you went through the the horrible um, length of a of a, a more than twenty four hour or a couple day long uh, power failure. Yeah. So um, there's the six hundred watt uh, day and night timer model. That's a dimming and pulse proportional. Now the dimming mode. What's really amazing with this is that you can use are thermostats on dimming mode with a basking bulb because it will gently dim up and down throughout the, bulb the day. Itself. Yeah, the bulb itself. Wow, okay. Now, I really highly recommend that you, for the probe of the thermostat, do not place it directly underneath the lamp. It will be shutting off um, because it will be constantly reaching the desired set temperature. So it's always best in that uh, method of use to place the probe away from the actual um, uh, basking bulb. Now, can those be used with a solar glow, a mercury vapor bulb? No. Um, the mercury vapor bulbs are self-ballasted, so anything that has a balance, you can't use um, the thermostat with. Uh, but any of the incandescent basking bulbs, no problem. You can use the thermostat with. Um, it is fantastic for, for that. Uh, example, Crescent Geckos uh, use a lot of the T10 style 25 watt 
um, uh, daytime heat lamp bulbs and our compact top for, for Crested Geckos, just to provide them a little bit of warmth, um, especially in Canada in our homes during the winter time, you're going to want to provide them just, just a, a little bit of extra warmth that brings it above room temperature. But using a thermostat with that, you can, and in the dimming mode, you can really effectively control how much heat it's throwing off because you don't want to overheat a Crested Gecko, obviously, because they're going to be more sensitive to yeah. higher temperatures. And you don't want them to get too cool either. Um, so really, really amazing uh, and interesting tool for, for using in that in that way. Um, yeah, so we have that model. Then we have the 600-watt um, dimming pulse proportional that has a day and night plug. So in the example of, I guess, a setup that I had with a snake, um, I had the day plug using a heat lamp, so on dimming mode. And then the night plug, I had the heating switch over to a heat mat on the opposite side of the terrarium um, to simulate, well, where does heat come from at night? It's not coming from above. It's, from above. Yeah. it's usually coming from below in mm -hmm. the case of a rock um, or sand or whatnot that had been sitting in the sun for the day that has retained um, the heat. So if the animal wants to go get a little bit of that belly heat that's very natural to them, you can have that thermostat switch over at the program nighttime um, to the heat mat. And then that one I had programmed for pulse, proportion, pulse proportional mode because I wanted it to be very accurate. Um, also, those modes, since your device isn't constantly shutting on and off, you're going to get better longevity uh, out of that device because constantly having any electronic device shutting on and off all the time um, will shorten its lifespan. That that is revolutionary. That is another thing we should put on yeah. the, some of the revolutionary things that uh, Exoterra has put out. So I I did not know that this existed actually. Yeah, um, I, I mean I would actually say hearing what you just said, <laughs> calling it an unsung hero um, for 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 Exoterra currently. Um, I, I think so. Yeah, there are dedicated videos on on uh, on on YouTube um, showing all the features and benefits of those of those thermostats, um, and there's been some links that hover around on our Exoterra Canada Facebook page uh, to a dedicated page for the thermostats, um, and uh, we can send it over for you if uh, you want that available. That would be awesome, yeah. It'll give you actually a little bit of a taste of what the, the, the future new Exoterra website um, will look like. Yeah, that would um, be awesome. In development for, for quite some time because we want it to be perfect um, in our own eyes. Um, finally, and last but not least, there is one final and the real flagship of the, of the uh, Exoterra thermostats. There's the 600-watt yeah. dimming pulse proportional um, and hygrostat. So... This is where you would um, be able to control the humidity of your terrarium. Now, I do highly recommend that you don't use a hygrostat with a misting system. Okay. Um, why? It'll just keep misting. It, it will mist very often. You will get that flooding of your drainage layer. And, you know, in the case of the Frogs and Co. terrarium, I mean, I guess the annoying part would be you'd be constantly having to drain out the bottom yeah. of the terrarium. So no, it, it, 
Um, using a hygrostat is really best um, used with a fogging system. Okay. So um, we do have our Exoterra fogger. Uh, that's definitely one one device that you could use um, with this. And and how does it work? Well, it, it's going to have the 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 probe for the thermostat is not only a temperature probe; it's a hygrostat probe. Oh, and that's something I should maybe talk about. Um, probes sensors for hygrostats are very very sensitive. Okay, it's really important. You know, they often have like a protective cage over them. Um, it's really important that you don't get anything on this or in it, um, i.e., substrate. Um, if that got inside there, that's where if anything touches that sensor, it begins to permanently damage the sensor. Okay. So you want to really protect those, uh, even with our digital um, uh, hygrometers and uh, the combo meter is a, a great, great uh, product I love to use because it measures temperature and humidity. Um, and I always place that little sensor, uh, for example, in, in when I'm using the monsoon, I place it behind the nozzle so that it's spraying away from it and never spraying so that water is getting on it. Into it. it. Yeah. yeah. So that's something I, I always make sure I do and I get the, the maximum um, lifespan out of that product. Um, whereas, you know, we receive complaints saying, oh, it's increasingly getting less and less accurate, but what, what what has happened to it over that time? Can you can you tell us what what is what has gone on? Uh, that has caused it to to that to that. I mean, obviously, you know, it's nothing's perfect. There are sometimes manufacturer defects, and we are there to um, to take care of you and make sure that you are satisfied with our with our product. But then there's sometimes it's just you know the use of it uh, overall. Um, you know, you got to try and, and and know these different tricks and listen to your your um, salesperson, reptile specialist at at the store. That is there to help you in learning how to properly use your products. Yeah. Um, we really, really encourage that because uh, otherwise, you know, there's the packaging and we can only put so much on the package. For sure. Or go check out the the tutorial videos. That yeah. Yeah. Online. yeah. That's okay. That's that's very interesting. I I, I did know that the hygrometer, um, the hygrometer version of that. The, the, sorry, what did you call it? The, just so we. we well, I mean, you can call it a hygrometer or a hygrometer. <laughs> uh, no, um, I meant like the product name itself. Oh, the so the the six hundred watt. Uh, yeah, it's got a long name. Okay, yes. <laughs> so dimming impulse proportional um, and hygrostat. Okay. Um, so that one is is doing a combined. There'll be two plugs. One that controls the heating, up to six hundred watts, and then one that controls up to 100 watts. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine many humidifying devices <laughs> uh, using too much power, yeah. but I guess it's, it's been made so it can handle enough power. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe something I'll bring up because a lot of people will ask, um, uh, you know, 600 watts, there's no 600 watt heating device. Um, so let's say, you add a splitter to the plug, the insert plug for the thermostat, you can control multiple devices up to that maximum wattage. However, you gotta remember that it's governed by the one probe sensor. So it essentially will produce 
the same temperature, given that it's at the same height in the room. Right. There you go. Hot air rises. Yeah. It might be a half a degree or maybe even a degree in some cases warmer. Or if it's lower on a shelf or rack. Um, so those, those are all things to consider um, definitely when, um, when using a, uh, a thermostat uh, with multiple heating devices all at once. But you can. It's possible. Um, you just have to add either a power bar or something to to uh, the thermostat to split and have be able to plug in your various different uh, heating devices to it. And obviously, you're going to want to use similar, almost this exact same heating devices and not ones with different wattage powers because mm -hmm. it's all not going to be the same. Right. And yeah. would you do that on different cages or would you just – Every cage kind of has. I, I have tested it out with multiple terrariums, with Crescent Echoes, with compact tops, with two 25 watt bulbs installed in them over our, our small, tall terrariums, the 18 by 18 by 24 inch tall terrariums. So I've done it with four different terrariums um, governed with one thermostat. Um, and using one probe in one terrarium to try and keep them all uh, similarly around the same temperature. And it, 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 it worked definitely um, on dimming mode, of course. Yes. And using this, the 600 watt model um, and uh, yeah. And to be able to simulate the nighttime temperature drop too, which was fantastic because then it just shuts the lights off. So you, right. know, you need to use a timer for your lights in the in the dimming mode with basking bulbs, it becomes the timer for it. It already exists, right? Yeah, that's super sick. I'm I'm very soon going to be working on a very big um, Altenhorn Dragon vivarium, and it's gonna have everything you just mentioned, like the misting system, the fogger, the the heat lamps, and all of that. So I I was trying to find a way to to control all of that in like one unit. So that it, it looks like we just found it. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Very very cool. Very, very, very cool. Um, awesome. Is there any other products that 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 recently in the last year or two came out that you um, want to touch on? Our tropical plant growth LEDs. So these are um, a like socket install type horizontal LED bulb for effective plant growth. Um, there is the the uh, deep forest, which is um, going to have a color color temperature spectrum that's that's great for growing mosses and philodendrons and maybe monsteras stuff that that doesn't require that high bright light um so uh i'm going to be setting up a terrarium myself pretty soon that's that's using just these um and and doing a fern philodendron and moss um type style terrarium yeah. so there won't be any of the the really crazy colorful bromeliads which would use the other model that we we have, which is the um, forest canopy, so this one is has a um, brighter color temperature that's going to be for plants that are get a lot more of that bright light, and especially plants that usually will color up that like uh, like I mentioned, vermilion. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll they'll have those bright reds and pinks and purples, uh, and they I mean under different lights they'll they'll grow they'll look healthy and everything um they will propagate but they may not necessarily color up in the beautiful way that they right. can 
Um, and under those type of those that color temperature light, they do. Um, Sorry, it was uh, forest canopy, and the first one was forest deep forest. forest deep of the, forest of the tropical plant growth LEDs PT twenty four oh nine and twenty <laughs> and PT twenty four eleven are the item numbers. I see um, you're working hard. <laughs> yeah, always, always. Um, Very interesting. So those were those were really great. Um, I wonder if the products. deep the deep floor forest can be used. Um, I get a lot of algae in my dart frog vivarium, so I wonder if that would kind of be a, a way to use to compact or get less algae, kind of. That situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, having so where where are you experiencing the algae? On the plants. <laughs> On the plants themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it could be like a matter of airflow. I think um, that's what it is. Yes. It 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 really depends. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. it. There's maybe just a little bit too too much misting um, going on. It's 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 hard to say because I have some terrariums that that have a lot of algae, and then remarkably the the airflow, but also humidity um, retention that the frogs and co terrariums have is fantastic. The glass doesn't fog up. I'm able yeah. to maintain 99% humidity in them. Um, without adding any covering up of the screen panel in the back. Wow. It is, it, the, the way it was designed um, was very well done in, in that yeah. respect mm -hmm. um, there. And no, I'm not experiencing a lot of the algae buildup, et cetera, that uh, I have seen in my own personal terrariums where, yeah, I've had to close up the, the screen cover to, to get that over 75% humidity that uh, I need for my dart frogs. Yeah, no, that's it. And yeah, like you said, it's not all of them. It's certain ones, and it probably is the ones that don't have the right amount of airflow. I've closed up too much yeah. of the screen. We have to also there. think about, again, part of that that research in the wild. Um, when, you know, we look at, uh, like, videos that, like, uh, recently, you know, Dion and and, and Mike and, and uh, Adam went Adam. to Costa Rica. Yeah. And, you know, you're seeing dirt frogs. Out hopping oh, across dry leaves. It's crazy. I know the air humidity is high. Yeah. That's that's the thing. The, well, so what what is not really natural about what we've been doing in the terrariums is making it a little bit too wet. Um, and for them constantly walking across wet surfaces is not exactly as, as it is in the wild. So can I cause bacterial problems. Hopefully, hopefully with. Um, maybe with fogging systems um, and different innovations that hopefully will come about in the future. Um, we might get around this and using, using a, a hydrostat um, to control the, the, the humidity level, because then we can maybe uh, finesse that, that level that we're, we're looking for without actually soaking the, the environment so much um, and, and, and getting to that point where we, we really uh, where it's going to be best for the actual for the for the frog yeah no no, no definitely it's 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 um almost seems like um how do i phrase this it's almost seems like the goal which i'm sure at a certain extent it almost seems like the goal of exoterra is to get to a stage where um just complex keeping at a simple level i guess is the best way to yeah it, right? well that's yeah. that's it we try we try to make it for for everyone, you know, the, the, the frogs and coat terrariums, 
Um, it could be for the advanced hobbyist, but it, we've made it in a way so that it can be for the beginner too. As well, and yeah. they can they can get into this this next level of the hobby that I guess before seemed unattainable, yeah. you know. And now they can begin and try out too. No, exactly, exactly. That's awesome. Okay, um, before I do let you go, I know you probably can't disclose what is coming out or what is being worked on in the woodwork, but maybe a, a, um, how do I? Maybe a glimpse of is there things in the woodwork? Should we expecting cool things to be coming out soon? Oh um, well, get us I mean, excited. <laughs> soon, I mean, we're we're hoping obviously with with the slowdown of of manufacturing, we're hoping that some some new items might come out before before the end of the year. Um, awesome. Keeping our fingers crossed yeah. um, on, on that for sure. Um, so definitely, we'll see some some new things in the not so distant future. Um, next year, some big launches coming. So there's going to be some really exciting stuff for 2023 um, that uh, gives gives me tingles in the back of back of my neck. So um, I can't say more than that. I know there's there's an amazing, incredible new website in development. There's an app in development. Um, yeah, the, the new app is going to be something very very helpful to all of us. Um, and uh, yeah, we go from there. There's I mean always always new things uh, coming from us and. Uh, the research continues. We're always learning something new. That that is awesome. So keep your eyes on Exoterra for for new things coming. I I know personally, I'm super excited and I can't wait to see what you guys are coming out with. Um, you know, if you ever feel like sending me a sneak peek, I'll gladly accept it. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, awesome. I think that was that was about all the questions I had for you, Jesse. So first of all, thank you very very much for coming on and doing this. Um, yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. Um, for, for all you Exoterra fans, uh, feel free to come say hello to me if I'm at an expo. Um, I should be at the Canadian Reptile Breeders Expo in Toronto in September. So definitely September 16 and 17. Yeah, stop by and, and come and say hi to me. Uh, I'm at various different uh, uh, um, pet specialty retail stores uh, on, on the weekends here and there. Uh, mostly across Eastern Canada. Once in a while, I, I, I step out to the, the Maritimes or, or out West. Maritimes very rare. Hope to get out there sometime, but not, it's uh, not, not very often. Um, yeah. But definitely across Ontario and Quebec, um, many people get to, get to see and meet me. And uh, yeah, I'll even learn something from you. Uh, yeah. Come by and say hello and stop for a chat. Uh, yes, exactly. We've already talked about where people can 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 find your YouTube and your Instagram, and so I'll have that in the description as well. Is there anywhere until the new website and the new apps coming out? Is there anywhere that people can go to find out more about Exoterra? And also, um, will there be? I don't know if you know this, but will there be any upcoming expeditions for that will be going up on on YouTube? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I think obviously with COVID, there was probably a stop to to all travels um, for the past two years, unfortunately. Um, I'm unaware whether there will be a next expedition that we'll see. I mean, the last uh, expedition video was uh, Panama, where they traveled to the to the uh, Bocas del Toro's archipelago chain and actually visited each island with the different locales of Ufaga Pumilio. Awesome. So that that is an amazing little video. There's not much. Um, there's almost no narration to it, but. Um, you will see the various different species when they visit the different islands. Just uh, wow, <laughs> I'm uh, 
uh, uh, jealous of, of the trip they got to they got to go on. Do you know what um, year that was? Sorry. Um, hmm. It could have been 20, 2018, 2019. Oh, recently. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I, think, wow. I think so. It could have been 2018 okay. if I'm, if I'm right. Um, yeah. Uh, got a little sidetracked there. What was your other question? Uh, oh yeah. Um, like if people want to find out more about okay. like Exoterra, where can they, where can they go? Yeah. Well, the exoterra.com. Uh, so it's www exo-terra.com. Um, um, frogsandco.com is another um, website of ours. And then for Canada, for social media, we do only have our uh, Exoterra Canada Facebook page, which is me. It's, it's actually myself posting on there uh, multiple times a week, um, answering your questions. Um, if you have any comments or um, or actually message us directly. Um, don't message us for for claims um, for uh, for you know manufacturer defects, etc. Um, you can find information of where to go on our um, on our Exoterra uh, website for that. Or if you do message us, and and we will provide you the the link and information of where to go to to get service uh, for your products. And always best actually. The best service you're going to get is through our retail partners. So if you purchase your product through an independent retail partner um, of Exoterra, um, you're actually going to get the quickest service by going directly back to those stores because we do work very, very closely with them. So let's say you bring your terrarium home and unfortunately nobody saw that there was actually, a you know, this happens very rarely, a little hairline crack at the bottom, bottom of the tank. Um, go back to that store. They're, they're going to give you, if, if they have one in stock, they're going to give you one on the spot. And then we take care of the store from, from there. Um, anything. So that's, that's where it's, it's best. If, if you go back to the retailer, you're going to be uh, taken care of quicker. Um, however, you can write into us and we'll, we'll take care of you from there too. Um, if it's, uh, if we have to, um, for sure. So I agree. yeah, uh, YouTube, there's also the Exeter YouTube channel. Awesome. And are, are, and are you on it on the exterior? Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. The, some of the latest videos, like I was saying for frogs and co um, I'm on some of those videos that are actually filmed at, at Hagen global head office here in Montreal in awesome. the basement. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I did that in March of uh, 2021. I spent an entire month just filming and getting ready to, to get those videos out there. Um, that are just to show you the features and benefits of the products and, and show you how to use them. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll have all those links in the, in the show, show notes below, go check them out. I've actually already seen a couple of the frogs and co ones and, and, and you did an awesome job. So I'll have some of those, some of those links down there as well. Um, what, one comment on, on what he just said, if you are in Ottawa, um, I, I work at Critter Jungle. We are there. Um, one of one of the local distributors, as you mentioned, come down. We can help you out. We can set you up with some more awesome Exoterra products. Um, so just a little, yeah. If you're in Ottawa, come check out Critter Jungle. And yeah. once again, Thanks, Jesse, thank you very very much uh, for doing this, for coming on, for talking to us about uh, all the Exoterra products. I hope that we can get a chance to do it again once some newer products are down the line, or 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 um, or some some new interesting information comes to light. I would love to have you on again. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. 
And for everybody else listening, thank you for listening. I am Daffy's Reptiles, Daffy's Roundtable for the podcast. I will put all those, once again, I've said this like a hundred times, but I put all those uh, links in the show notes. Uh, check out Jesse's channel. Check out Jesse's Instagram. Check out Exoterra. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you, Fatty.